and he's your friend. I want to ask you to open your Bible to John chapter 5. We are going to be stepping away from the study in Revelation till after Life Action Revival is here. There's a little bit more about that in your worship bulletin, so I encourage you to look at that. This morning, I want you to consider with me a question. Do you really want to be healed? Seems like an odd question, doesn't it? Do you want to be healed? It's even more odd when we consider that it came from the lips of Jesus. It's recorded here in this text. Starting in verse 1 of chapter 5. Now after this there was a feast of the Jews. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there was in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda. Which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids. Blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. The answer seems clear, doesn't it? Do you want to be healed? You know, obviously the answer would be yes. I mean, it would be like asking a blind man, do you want to see? Or asking a person who is confined to a wheelchair, do you want to walk? Well, well, certainly. Certainly I do. But the question is not here, just as filler space. Jesus wasn't just asking the obvious. He does nothing on a whim. Nothing is by accident. No, in this case... Jesus is wielding this question in many ways like a surgeon does a scalpel. He's using this question to, to paint, paint a picture like an artist would use a brush. You see, in this question, Jesus is drawing attention to himself. Now, in doing this, there are those who accuse Jesus of being a narcissist. Goodness knows that word has been used in this political campaign more than we've ever heard it before. It's someone who is stuck on themselves. Some skeptics have even gone so far as to say, well, this proves Jesus is an egomaniac who is just stuck on himself. But I would ask you to consider this. That the best thing for us is for Jesus to make much of himself. The fact that Jesus draws attention to himself is an act of love and service to others. He's not making much of himself because he needs our adulation or he is lacking something. He is not making much of himself out of pride, but out of service. 
Would you and I call a doctor who had discovered the cure for cancer an egomaniac if he said, here is the cure, come to me and I will give it to you? We would say, no, that doctor has done a great thing. Well, in this case, the cure is Jesus. And he is saying, here I am, come to me. John 6, he said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men into myself. He is acting in love so that we will be healed. So in this question, Jesus is drawing attention away from this pool. Now, you may have noticed as I read this, that verse 4 is probably not in your translation. It may be in some. In most translations, it goes from verse 3 to verse 5. You'll notice at the bottom, if your translation omits verse 4, there's an explanatory note at the bottom that says that verse is not found in the oldest manuscripts. In other words, in the oldest copies we have of the Gospel of John, verse 4 is not there. What it's believed is that later on as the Scripture was being copied, that those who were copying it put in an explanatory note to tell us about verse 7. No one puts me into the water when the water is stirred. Why is the water stirred? Well, according to tradition or legend, an angel would descend and stir the waters periodically so that whomever was placed in the water when the angel stirred it would be healed. So here is what Jesus is doing. He is saying, you're looking to an angel to heal at certain times. I am the power to heal and I am with you now offering you the power to be made well because of my mercy. As Jesus makes much of himself here, he is showing himself to be merciful. It is not ironic that the place in which this occurred is called in the Aramaic Bethesda. Why does he emphasize that in John? Because the Aramaic word Bethesda means house of mercy. Here is someone that is powerless and he is looking for mercy. Here is someone who is penniless. To be lame was to be a beggar. And he is looking for mercy for he has no money by which to secure what he needs. And at the house of mercy, he finds the one who is the embodiment of mercy. Because notice where Jesus is. Look at the description of the people there in verse 3. Lay a multitude. Tens, twenties, thirties, hundreds. The lame. The blind, the paralyzed. Those that we know it's good to be around, but it makes us uncomfortable because we don't know what to say. We don't know what to do. This is the place that proper people would avoid. But here is Jesus. Where is He showing the mercy of God by walking among those whom our culture doesn't know what to do with? You see, Jesus offended the religious sensibilities of the religious leaders by eating with sinners. Here, He shocks the broken by being among them. And not only is He among them, in this case, Jesus takes the initiative. Notice, He is the one that looks at this man in verse 6. Do you want to be healed? Two prior miracles had taken place. Jesus had turned water into wine in John chapter 2. And just prior to this, in John chapter 4, he had healed the child of a, of a religion or a leader, an official from Capernaum. In both of those cases, Jesus was approached to do a miracle. But here, he initiates it. 
It's a reminder of two things. First, Jesus is the one who initiates the plan of salvation because Jesus is acting to start to bring about the chain of events that would lead to his crucifixion. Notice what it points out at the end of verse 9 where I stopped reading. Now that day was the Sabbath. This is a turning point. Jesus, by doing an act of mercy, created a controversy with the Pharisees that would eventually lead to the cross. Second thing is this. Jesus, Jesus initiates what we need when we don't even realize it ourselves. He initiates this to move things to the cross so that he will be glorified and he initiates this question to this man who had no money, no power, no position to reveal his power and his ability to bring healing. Jesus wants us to see that it's beyond religious superstition. It's beyond religious works. See, in the Gospel of John, up to this point, there's been a unique little thing that John has woven into it. And that is the theme of water. In John 2, he turns the water into wine. It was the water that was found in the jars that the religious people would use to cleanse, to wash their hands, to be religiously, or, or, or to be pure according to the rites of purification. But Jesus transforms that water into wine as if to say, your religious principles cannot bring about the sweet wine of the kingdom of God. I have to bring transformation. In chapter 4, Jesus once again engages with a, in a conversation over water. This woman at the well who is wanting water that will satisfy. Jesus makes the point that the water from the well of Jacob will not satisfy you, but he will give living water that will satisfy. In John chapter 7, Jesus says, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, out of his heart will flow Rivers of living water. And here in John chapter 5, he is showing us that he is greater than any angel who stirs up water because his power to transform is not limited to a time or a place, but it is everywhere and anywhere where the Spirit of God works and the person to whom God is speaking says, here I am. But the amazing thing here is that this man doesn't even aware of that. You see, it's very clear to me that Jesus asked this question to draw attention to himself. But here, I want to just hypothesize for a moment. I know it's dangerous to try to psychoanalyze a passage of Scripture. So what I share with you admittedly is just a little bit of conjecture. But I can't help but wonder if Jesus asked this question to this man. So he'd begin thinking about his own heart. Do you really want to be healed? Look, some, look at something about his answer. He doesn't say yes or no. It's like he assumes, well, of course I do. But notice what he says. I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. Doesn't it tell you something that this man, that if he was wanting to be healed, had no one to help him? He didn't get there by himself. Someone had to bring him. He has a bed he's laying on. Are there no friends? No family? Could it be that this man, maybe in his anger, had pushed everyone away? Could it be that he just wanted to get there to give the appearance and so he told whoever brought him, okay, you can go now. Because in his mind, by being there, he was playing 
the role he was supposed to play. What do beggars do? What does the lame do? They give the appearance they want to be healed. He's playing the role that's socially acceptable. Here I am. And it could be that fear drives him to play that. I mean, why would he be there without a plan to get in the water? Could it be the same reason that keeps us from really taking off our mask and, and allowing the Spirit of God to work? Could it be that our identity becomes built around our infirmity? For 38 years, he had been lame. So there's fear here. If I'm healed, where do I go? What do I do? How will people treat me? To be healed meant change. And change meant leaving what is comfortable, even if what is comfortable is killing us. But Jesus doesn't let him off the hook. Notice this man doesn't respond in faith. Jesus, continuing to initiate his plan, says, take up your bed and walk. And even then, Jesus doesn't let him off the hook. This man doesn't even know the name of who healed him. Just a few verses after this, this man is being questioned by the temple authorities. Who healed you? The man says, I don't know. They let him go. But Jesus finds this man again. Look in verse 14. And what does he say? See you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. Jesus doesn't let us off the hook. Do you want to be healed? I will work in your life. But recognize it means a transformation, a change of direction. To go in a different way. You see, the Lord knows the sins that we are comfortable with. He knows the sins that you and I accept as just a part of who we are. He knows deep down if you really want to change. He knows if your past actions have become your present reputation and you don't want to let that go. He knows what you want to stop, but you don't think you can. He knows the pain you want to leave behind, but can't. And so the question comes to us, just like it did this man. Do you want to be healed? Do you want to take up your mat and walk? And let what was your prison become your pulpit as a testimony? Just like Jim and Connie shared today. It takes a lot of courage to stand in front of a group of people and say, this is where we were. But they did it so you will see the surpassing power of God. To know that the same God that worked in their lives is the same God that brought healing to this man. And he's the same God that can bring healing to you. So the question is, do you want to be healed? Are you tired of playing the religious game? I want to ask you to bow your heads with me.